Good evening. <laughs> good to be here. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's odd. It's really odd missing um, even one uh, one day, let alone two. But glad I didn't have to miss two. But uh, but yeah, it's just uh, it's uh, you know we we say it, but then when we're away, we really understand you know what it means to be in fellowship. And uh, because we, we, we so miss it, you know, Tom, you know that, I mean, you're gone working for quite some time. And so, yeah, yeah. And you just long for it. And so I was so looking forward to, uh, to this evening as we uh, get to come together, together and, uh, and fellowship and uh, just to be centered in God's word. And um, so we're going to continue uh, in our study through the book of Deuteronomy. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Uh, we're only going to get to um, go through about half of this chapter. Sometimes we cover two chapters. Uh, once we covered three. And today is one of those days where we'll cover just half. That's it. Um, but I wanted to, I'm going to say it on Sunday as well. But I wanted to let you know. Uh, who was here on on Sunday? Um, some of you, I don't know, may know who who Justin Alfred is, and um, maybe some of you don't. But uh, Justin's a, a very dear friend. Um, him and um, his wife, his family have gone through a lot uh, more than uh, if you know his story, you know what what they've gone through. But uh, but they they've gone through a lot over the course of. Um, you know, these, these years with their family. Uh, but one of the things that he's, um, he's always given himself to is, is ministry. And he's always interested in pouring into uh, pastors and uh, just whoever it is that uh, comes and asks him to explain, to um, uh, help you through, whether it be a section of scripture or something difficult. He has a shepherd's heart. But he's also a scholar. He is a uh, he's he's an expert in uh, in the Greek and Hebrew. I don't know. Did he teach out of the? He taught out of what Psalm fifty one, right? Yeah. So did he have the Hebrew Bible? Is it because that's what he normally does? He 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 walks around. He doesn't walk around <laughs> doesn't walk around with the English Bible. <laughs> you know, he he walks around with with two books. One is the Old Testament. It's in Hebrew, and he reads straight out of that. And he'll translate it as he's going. And then the, the other the one is the, uh, the New Testament, being in Greek, and he'll read right out of, the, out of that, and he'll explain it to you. Oh, did he really? Oh, okay. That's, that's great. Oh, did he? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. And good old Southern boy, right? Yeah. He's very Southern. <laughs> but... Um, Anyway, um, every once in a while, I, I have the privilege of going to um, his studies. Once a month, he, he, um, he has these studies, and he'll, he'll break down um, certain areas of Scripture and, and just basically uh, thoroughly, talking about expositing the Word, he'll break down um, a certain section, uh, the tense, and just everything that has to do with the language, and it really just makes it come alive. So... It's, it was, uh, I knew you were in good hands, and, uh, and I was glad that he was able to come out. Um, I can tell you that 
I, I knew it was him. As I got worse on Saturday, I told Modesto already, but it was funny because I, I, he was on my heart. It was like, if I was going to ask anyone, it would be him. And so I called him in the morning, left him a message, and um, thought, you know what, if it's not him, then I'll go ahead and push through, and I'll come in, give the message, and I'm out, I'm out the door, right? And, um, and so that's what I was kind of thinking when I, when I went to bed. Um, I was thinking, well, I need to get to bed early and, and see what happens. And I get a call almost at 10 o'clock at night, and it's him. And, uh, and he says, brother, you know, he says, uh, first of all, let's pray. So he, we got to pray, and he prayed for me. And uh, then he says, hey, I'd be blessed, honored. Uh, you tell me, uh, you know, t- tomorrow morning, you know, what time and all that. So he was, he was just there and so willing. And, and uh, j- by the way, I talked to him today. He had a great time. He was blessed. Um, but I know you were blessed too. Like I said, you were, you were in good hands. Uh, but it's funny because Saturday, um, Bettina, she asked me, she asked me, well, have you called anyone else? And, uh, and I said, nope. And uh, she says, well, what if he doesn't call you back? And I, and I said, well, that's who the Lord laid on my heart, so we'll leave it at that. And if I was wrong, then, then so be it. Um, I'll go ahead and, like I said, come in. <laughs> It'll be fine with me. But it's funny, you know, we just wait on the Lord. And, uh, and when we're just sure that, it's him speaking to us. We just wait. We just wait. And, uh, and he called. And it was just such a blessing. It was like it was an encouragement at 10 o'clock at night. And uh, the rest of the night, I, couldn't, I could not sleep. I didn't, it was hard to sleep Saturday night, Sunday night. Um, I mean, I, I would get up and, and kind of toss and turn. And I, I just was, wasn't well. So it was a blessing. So it was all the Lord's hand. And then also, I want to share this with you. Um, because um, I think it was Monday that someone had texted me and, and, uh, and asked, you know, how I was doing. I said, well, I'm doing a little bit better. And, um, and then he said this. He says, you know, God is good all the time, right? And I, of course I said, amen. Yes, he's good all the time. And, and he is. But I was thinking, sometimes it's at our expense, I was thinking that, just had me think about the sovereignty of God, how it is that he allows certain things in our lives at times in order for something to happen divinely that the Lord has planned and set up. Um, I can't help but think that I I just was not supposed to be here on Sunday. And the only way for me not to be here on Sunday is if I was just deathly ill. Like I said, if Justin would not have called, I would have been here on Sunday, come in and, and gone out the door. But, but the Lord knew. And I couldn't help but think that it was him that was supposed to be here teaching on Psalm 51. And by the way, he told me that he has never been sitting there, sitting, and in the middle of worship, had the Lord speak to him so clearly to change. He was going to teach what out of Romans 7, 14 from Romans 7, 14, right? And speak to him so clearly and tell him to shift it over to Psalm 51. 
He says, it, it just, it hasn't, ha I think he told me it just hasn't happened. Not like that. He says, maybe before a little bit, but not right before I'm going to go up and teach. And um, so that's why I'm saying it's like, it, it all, if you were here, it, it was meant just for you. Not that it isn't any other time, but it was just a special morning, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, just the way the Lord had ordained that whole thing to, to happen. And, uh, and so, yeah, God is good all the time. God is good. And um, then I was also thinking as I'm going through this study, and, and we keep going through, we've gone through, now we're in the fifth book of, of, the, of the Old Testament, right? Books of the law. And um, sometimes we refer to the Old Testament as that's the law, the book of the law, right? And um, the New Testament is the book of grace. But as we go through the law, can you not see that the Old Testament is the same God as the New Testament? You see his grace, you see his mercy, you see his compassion, because he's, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, the people lived by faith in God and who he said he was to them, right? And how it is that they were, they were saved, they completely trusted in him, and they looked forward to the coming Messiah. For us, we, we look back, but they look forward. It's still from faith, right? And um, so sometimes we, we uh, make the mistake of saying, well, this is the, the God of wrath. Well, he's the God of wrath. He is the God of, of wrath. He's the God of war, but he's, because he's just and he's, and he's good and he's love, right? And we see that through our studies. And so just thinking about all that, I wanted to share that with you especially as we continue um, to go through uh, the preparation of the Israelites as they're going to go into the promised land. So let's pray, and then we'll get into our study. Father, we thank you, Lord, for um, just the, the privilege and the honor, Lord, to come and sit at your feet to receive from you that which you have written, Lord, for our benefit to understand who you are, to to know how it is that you work all things. Um, bless us with your word and how you bless us with um, just the, the warnings and the exhortations and uh, that are all in your word as well as expressing your love to us in so many different ways. And so I pray this evening as we do begin to go through the Ten Commandments that, uh, that Lord, you would... Uh, help us to see, uh, Lord, how it is that your precepts and your rules, your, your word is there that we might know how to bless you and live this life, not only to bring you glory, but in the freedom of your word. Learn how to abide in you and know how to walk upright before our Lord. And so, Father, may you bless our time together, give us understanding, and whisper in our ear what we need to hear, Lord, for us. We thank you, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, uh, like I said, we continue um, just studying how it is that Moses, uh, being led by the Lord, is preparing the children of Israel to um, 
for them to enter into the promised land. We know that he's not going in with them. Um, he's, he's, not, he's not crossing over into uh, Canaan, but he's nonetheless preparing them. Um, he is expressing his heart of a shepherd, and we see that as, uh, as we continue our study through Deuteronomy. So let's start out um, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 1. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak in your hearing today, and you shall learn them and be careful to do them. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. Not with our fathers did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain. Out of the midst of the fire, while I stood between the Lord and you at that time, to declare to you the word of the Lord. For you were afraid because of the fire, and you did not go up into the mountain. He said, and we're going to stop there. Just before Moses uh, begins to uh, pass along and remind him of what the Lord gave as far as the Ten Commandments are concerned. Now, this was um, a covenant that was made. Um, the bottom line is the covenant was made with the living. He made it with Israel. Moses continues at this point to prepare Israel again for their entrance into the promised land. And here we see him telling the people that the covenant that God had made at Horb or Mount Sinai was with them in a very real way and not with the previous generation. That seems odd, since it was the previous generation that was alive at the time and received the covenant, even responding to the covenant that God had made with them. The previous generation had heard the statutes and the rules, but many of the present generation either had not been there to hear these rules and these statutes, the law itself, or... They were very young at the time that the law was given to Israel. So we need to understand, what does God mean by what he said? What God was saying is that the covenant that was made was made with the Israelites as a people and not a specific number of them. Not with that, like that group by itself. And definitely not with an individual. It was to all of them, each tribe. And, and as, as more people were born into the tribes, of course, and into the children of Israel, as they continued to grow in numbers, the covenant applied to all of them. This covenant applied to the living. Because a promise, like when a covenant is made, a covenant is made between a man and a woman, in a marriage. Now, once one of them dies and goes home to be with the Lord, is that covenant still binding? No. It's no longer binding. There's no, there's no other person there for that to be in effect, right? And so that person is no longer bound by that covenant. So this covenant that, that the Lord made had been made with Israel, but with, with those who were living, right? And so that's the point that he's making. And they needed to hear this. They needed to understand. 
Hey, listen, you may have been young. You may have not even been born yet. But you need to hear about this covenant that I made with you, my people, that I chose for myself. They needed to hear God's statutes and rules and themselves receive and embrace the covenant. There must be a personal acceptance and belief in God's word. Sound familiar today with our families? We raise our kids and, and uh, you know, at the time that perhaps we came to the Lord, um, it may have been before they were even born. And at the, when they're little and they're growing up, they're under your care and, and they're under your covering. But there's a certain point where they are to exercise their own free will. They can no longer uh, move along on your coattails, right? They come to that age of understanding and they themselves are to respond and exercise that free will to either receive or reject in the same way that you and I had an opportunity to receive or reject what the Lord offers. So that's the same then as it is today. Uh, a parent's faith, again, does not transfer automatically to a child. The word of God remains, but a child must come to a place where they hear the gospel and respond to it themselves to know salvation or reject it. And so Moses was reminding them of the covenant made by the Lord with the Israelites in Horeb at Mount Sinai, and how the Lord spoke, uh, but they saw no form. So this is something that we read here. It's something very important for us to, to understand. They, they heard his voice coming out from the midst of the fire, but they saw no form. Uh, the Apostle John writes in John chapter 4, verse 24, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, we'll see in a moment as we continue through our study how even a picture or an idol or an icon or a golden calf is unacceptable. And even a sin, if it's used to be uh, used as an aid in worship to God. Even when God had the Israelites erect a memorial, you remember that, and we're coming to it as we, we get into uh, Joshua. And uh, they... they Pretty much these memorials that, that the Lord had them set up in the middle of the Jordan and, and also on uh, the, the, the border, the, the shoreline, right? Um, what were they? They were piles of rocks. They, they weren't anything that had the form of a, of a fish or a, or a bird or, or a man. Can you imagine? It's like, hey, go ahead and make a statue of Joshua. You know, that, that were, hey, who is that guy? Oh, that's Joshua. Oh, what's that all about? Well, that's, that's where Joshua brought us across from one side to the other. It's like, really? <laughs> no, it wasn't Joshua. It, it was the Lord. So even then, he had these, these um, piles of stones, 12 of them, right? Uh, to be piled up uh, to serve as a memorial, a reminder of how it is that the Lord brought them into the promised land. So God was reminding them that they heard his voice out of the midst of the fire, but he wasn't the fire to worship fire. Because we, we tend to worship that which we see, 
that which we experience. It's like, okay, we, we want to worship that. And so he's telling them this, and Moses stood between them and the Lord because they were afraid of the fire itself. Not the voice. It doesn't say here that they were afraid of the voice, but they were afraid of the fire, right? It must have been just an amazing thing to see. Again, this was the previous generation, but this was indeed the moment when God made a covenant with his people. And this generation was faced with the decision to hear what the Lord had said and receive it or not. And Moses tells this generation what the Lord had spoken. What did he speak? Well, we start going through the Ten Commandments. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 6, um, as we continue, it says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So, So prior to going into the Ten Commandments, this is something that's very important for us to understand. I remember going through Exodus, and we're, we were in Exodus chapter 20. We went through the Ten Commandments, and this is, these are the things that we went through. And I was thinking, well, I can just say ditto and then move on to chapter 6, but that wouldn't be fair to us today, right? And then it's funny because as I'm going through that study, and, and, I'm, and I'm literally, some of it is like, okay, well, I wouldn't change anything there, just copy and paste. But everything else in between, it's like, oh, man, we can add a little here and there. And just, it, it's, always, uh, it's always awesome going through the word a second time, going through the law a second time. Um, there's just more that hopefully gives it uh, a more whole understanding. So this is the first thing that the Lord Um, spoke to them. And he said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Something that you Israelites need to remember today and always remember. It's good to understand and acknowledge who it is that's doing the speaking. You know, when the word is spoken from the pulpit, it's the word that has the power. Um, the, the preacher, hopefully, he has the unction from the Lord. Hopefully, he's anointed to speak the word, right? But it's, it's, not, it's not him. There's, there's personality there. There's what a character or not, you know, but it, it's just, it's the word of God that has the power. That's who's speaking to you. This was critical for the Israelites to understand to serve them for long-term obedience. It wasn't just for the moment, but for long-term obedience. So number one, who's speaking? That was answered. Number two, who delivered you from Egypt? That was answered. God, right? And number three, do you remember how you were delivered from the house of slavery? God establishes right from the beginning who it is that is doing the talking. Number one, he says, I am the Lord. He identifies who he is. And then not only who he is eternally, but he also speaks to them personally. He says, and I am your God. I am your God. I I am the Lord, but I am also your God. To understand that uh, would require our study for the rest of our lives, and hopefully we do, right? We keep trying to understand how how it is that he is our God, how it is that he leads us, he protects us, he provides for us. There's all these things. He's our God, 
And he's making that very clear to them. And number three, he says, I'm the one who delivered you out of the house of slavery. The foundation basically is being laid. Authority has been established and order is in place. So the first thing that God does is establish who is speaking and then he gives the law. Which in verse 7, as we start out, number 1. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall have no other gods before me. In the, um, in the days of Israel, there were real temptations to worship other gods. Not like today where there really isn't any kind of great temptation to worship any other gods. But, but back then there was a real temptation. You guys were still with me? You guys are sleeping. <laughs> of course there's temptation, right? They, they, they're just called different names. But, it, you know, at that point, it's the, the Baals, the Asterisks, you know, and, and all these other gods that, that we know them by name. But today, if we were to go through and see what gods are out there, we could just name them different things, but it's the same substance. So the same thing. The God of financial success, chasing after the, the mighty dollar. Like that's, that's it. You know, there's nothing wrong with working. In fact, um, the Bible says if, if you don't work, you don't eat, right? You don't. So if you're able to work, get to work, right? So there's nothing wrong with that. But if that is your everything, um, just search YouTube and, and you'll see some people who, who that is their God. That, that is it. They'll give you motivational speeches, you know, that, that will really get you going in that direction and, and help you along in the fellowship of, of their God, right? Um, there's, the, um, the, there's the God of, of weather, of earth. Um, there's the, the goddess of romance, of sex, of reproduction, and that's uh, the, the goddess uh, Ashtoreth. Uh, of what we see in these days, it's the same today. It, it just, it's just called something different. What God was saying is that there is to be nothing placed before him or put in his place. This was and is to be a continuous action that applies to every aspect of life and at all times. God is not to be put into a box because we can be guilty of the first commandment throughout the day as we, we say, well, we're going to give God the first of our day and then act like heathens the rest of the day. It's kind of like, oh, and then, and then we're on our knees uh, at night, you know, just asking for forgiveness. But you, you need to understand what I'm saying. It's a continuous action. A continuous surrender. It applies to every aspect of life and at all times. It's considering God in everything we think, everything we say, and everything we do. Everything. It's like these guards that are placed. It's these blinders that are set. We are focused on Him. And we're always filtered 
by that thought and understanding and acknowledgement that God is with us at every moment of every day and we desire to bless, honor, and glorify him. That is what this is saying. And as I was listening to a message, I can't remember who it was, uh, one with a thick, like, um, I don't know, Irish accent or something like that on K-Wave. Um, but I was reminded of the liberty in, in, in God's precepts. Um, as he spoke, he, he kind of brought this up. That is, that, that we can live without hesitation. What I'm saying is that we can live confidently as we abide in the Lord and so abide in his truth. We live in his wisdom. And he referred to Psalm 119.45. says, And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. To live life with a devotion to God's word and applying to Every, it, to everything in life is, is to live a life that is sure, sure-footed, confident, and yet humble, and without any doubt, because one is trusting that what God says is sure, and he is my God, period. You know, it, it's a life of understanding, hey, listen, I know it's by God's grace, but I walk upright with the Lord, and I have this liberty and freedom because I am always thinking about him. And I know just as we sung, you know, Psalm 1, right? How it is that I am blessed because I do meditate on the law of the Lord. How it is that that is the very thing that guides me and protects me and, and brings me along the safe path. It's a liberty that the world does not know. But I pray that God's people do walk in. When you approach a difficult situation in life, trust in what God's word tells you, and you are walking on solid ground. Applying this first commandment meant that God was not merely added to their lives, but he must become primary in every aspect of their lives. Because God desires to lead us along the right path but that can only happen if we allow him to have that place in our lives with great trust and obedience. By the way, I, I've heard, and I've said it before, and, and I, and I want to say it again, that it's, it's, really, it's really unbiblical, it, it, unless you show me somewhere in the Bible where, where it has this. You know, and, and you may have said it before, how does the list of priorities go? It's God first. Then who comes next? Your spouse. You've heard it, right? And then, come, and then your children, right? What comes after your children? You can all the way, go all the way down. And then, and then they say, well, well ministry is like way down here. You know, it's not, it's, it's like, man, if you go all the way down through that, that list, and, and it's very popular, that's a very popular thing in the church. I have always put this challenge out and I haven't had one person come up to me and say, yeah, it's, it's right here. It says it right here. If we are to put God first and understand that sometimes, like 
my wife, she understands that the sacrifices that we commit to is all because we're devoted to the Lord. Sometimes she has, she, pla- she places what she's committed to before me and I get mad. I get so angry. I'm like, hey, wait. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. I don't do that, right? But can you imagine if I, I would do that? No, you committed to do, doing that. that. That's what... That's living a life of integrity and then also showing our kids, demonstrating to our kids that, you know what? Loving the Lord, sometimes it involves putting aside our, our time to, to go here or do that or do this or, you know, do whatever it is that we want to do, right? And understand that we should simply want to do and desire what God wants us to do. And that's okay. In fact, that's the better thing, right? So, um, if it was the other way around, uh, I'm telling you, I personally would hardly be here. Right? Because um, we have all things going on, all kinds of things. Um, as as the, the kids, they weren't always this, you know, grown up like this. They, they were babies, you know, We'd bring them. I know Miss Darcy here knows that very well. She's seen us go through ministry. And we've seen them go through this ministry too. They bring, they bring their babies. We bring our babies. Let's go. Let's do this thing. And we never use them as an excuse. Why? Because we always said, this is what we do. This, this is what God desires. This is what it looks like to just love on the Lord and desire him above all things. Sometimes we, we set our kids up on a pedestal and we worship them. God says, put no one, no one before me. Not your spouse, not your children. Even when Jesus came, what did he, did he say? You know, you need to love the Lord way more than you love your family. Your love for your family should look like hatred compared to the love that you have for the Lord. So I make that point here to begin with because we often in the church start putting down those list of priorities and think that that, that is the right way to, way to go. But like I said, if you can show it to me, then that'd be great. I, I will say I was wrong, um, but I haven't seen it at all. He's either Lord of all or not Lord at all. So this is the first commandment. God and no other. Secondly, um, the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So this is the um, second commandment. Make nothing in his likeness. This commandment speaks to the fact that we have a tendency to worship that which we create. You know, you become so prideful. 
You know, whether it be work or just your hobby or something that you get really good at, you're like, look, aren't I awesome? Right? And then you start worshiping like that thing. Right? And, and this, is, this speaks to that tendency. Now, God did not prohibit the making of things for decorative or artistic purposes. That's, that's not what he means here at all. But that which would, as I said earlier, aid us in the worship of God. There are false religions that hold that elephants, monkeys, frogs, um, just all kinds of different animals are sacred and they make these carved images of them and, and even bow down to them and, and worship them, putting food in front of them and uh, you know, doing all kinds of things, you know, worshiping them. But again, I remind you what the Apostle John writes. John 4, 24, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. A picture or an idol or an icon or a golden calf is unacceptable, as I said earlier. And even it even becomes sin if it's used to aid in the worship of the Lord. We end up worshiping that thing, that item, that carved image, and not God. Roman Catholics have ignored this commandment, and I say this very literally. And I even brought proof. All right, because this is, you know, sometimes we we say, well, you know, there's we we can call them brothers, this and that. I I don't know. I've I've been asked a question: Can a person be saved and and be a Catholic? And I say, yeah, absolutely. But I, I genuinely do not understand how it is that someone can remain in the Catholic Church when you study the Word of God and see what the rules and regulations are within that religion. I, I don't know how you can stay there, right? It's like, okay, we'll stay in the fire and then pull people out. But I, I, don't, I don't understand. Maybe someone can explain that to me, but I, I don't understand it. Because the Roman Catholics have ignored this commandment. The second commandment has been ignored, leaving it out, and by the way, turning the tenth commandment into two. Therefore, keeping ten commandments, but only by ignoring the one and splitting number ten into two. Okay? I'm going to read to you, and this can be found at vatican.va. Um, and I, I have the actual uh, website um, if you'd like it. But this is the catechism of the Catholic Church. And so we have in the, the first column right here, we actually have the scripture. They didn't change scripture. They didn't change any of it here. It's all there. Um, now here it's, it has Exodus 20, verses 2 through 17. This one has Deuteronomy 5, verses 6 through 21. That's what we're going over tonight, right? Um, number one, uh, it says, You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, you, and then over here in Exodus, it says, You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness what we read just right now. Now, in this middle section, it doesn't have any reference to it. 
you go over to a traditional catechetical formula. This is their formula. Number one, I'm the Lord your God. You shall, have, you shall not have strange gods before me. Number two, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Wait a minute, that's number three, but theirs is number two. Number three, and then they continue on. Number, number nine, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Number 10, you, you, you shall not covet your neighbor's goods. That's one commandment. That's not two. So that's why I'm telling you, you need to be careful. You need to make sure you know so that as you look at Revelation, the end of Revelation, God just gives us a warning. Don't take away, don't add to the word. I think we read it even last week. Don't take away, don't add, don't change any of it. And that doesn't mean that they wrote in the Bible, but they certainly did ignore it, right? And, and this is what man has done. That which they don't want to adhere to, well, we're going to go ahead and go in a different direction. Just so we are well aware. So when they speak of the Ten Commandments, they're speaking of another Ten Commandments. They've split the last one. Now, God is a jealous God, but not how you may think that he's jealous in fact, Alan Redpath said, God's jealousy, quote, is love in action. He refuses to share the human heart with any rival, not because he is selfish and wants us all for himself, but because he knows that upon that loyalty to him depends our very moral life. God is not jealous of us. He's jealous for us, close quote. He, this is what God desires. Jesus spoke this in John 15, 5, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, God's desire for us is for us, and he knows that apart from him, our very lives unravel. They can come to, to destruction, death, and, and decay. It just, we are no good and we don't produce anything good apart from him. And what God is saying is that idolatry on a national scale will have a generational impact. A nation that forsakes the Lord will be judged. Now, one thing that I, I do want to note with this general sin. Please note the key word. And I emphasized it as I went through and I read it. I emphasized the key, the key words that we ought to really pay attention to. Because there's this false teaching uh, that is even within the church to where there's this generational sin that goes, you know, through, through the, the generations of in our kids, you know, and alcoholism. You know, if I'm an alcoholic, then, uh, then that'll pass along to the second and third uh, generation. So it'll, it'll go. Not true. Not true. They are accountable for their sins just as much as I'm accountable for my sins, right? We need to read this again and read it slowly. Let's go to verse 9. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of what? Of those who hate me. Of those who hate me, 
Verse 10, but, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who, what? Love me and keep my commandments. Um, as I, it, it's uh, pretty ironic how it is that as I'm going through my reading of, of Scripture, uh, just my own devotional time, uh, I just went through 1 Kings chapter 21. If, if you know that section, and you know King Ahab, um, King Ahab was a very bad king, uh, the king of Israel. And um, he had, the only thing that was worse than him was his wife, Jezebel. Right? She, was, she was one bad mama. She was, she was not good, right? But King Ahab is an example of this very thing. King Ahab did evil in the sight of the Lord, and he, he was judged, and, and the judgment came down, and the prophet spoke. But what did King Ahab do? He repented. He humbled himself before the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to the prophet and said, have you seen what King Ahab's doing? He's humbled himself before the Lord. I'm going to withdraw my hand from King Ahab. Like I said, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. King Ahab repented. The Lord withdrew. He didn't apply that, right? And as he continued on, what happened was, if you continue to read through, what happened is that King Ahab's sons did evil in the sight of the Lord. And it is for that reason that they themselves would receive judgment. So this is what we need to understand. Here's the whole point here, is the impact that we can have on the next generation. I would never want to be the source of stumbling for my children. You know, to do something that would cause them to go down a path of destruction. I, I don't want to be that for them. I want to live a life that encourages, encourages them to walk upright before the Lord, to walk in righteousness. To the, to the best of my ability, I want to show them that, that I love Jesus and, and I do everything that I can with what, how I understand uh, to live for him and to bless him and glorify him, right? But we can impact the next generation, the generation after that, by the way we live our lives. And so that's the point that's being made here. So number one, God and no other. Number two, make nothing in his likeness. Number three, Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11. This is the third commandment. Says, observe, or verse 11, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So this is the third commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. This is perhaps one of the most frequently visibly abused commandments of the ten. It happens all the time. No, number one, profane language is used. Profanity. Um, I know that uh, my son, Isaiah, he's in eighth grade, and we we're talking about just profanity. It's like, it's, it's out there. Um, this uh, teacher, um, I forgot where it was, that he just went off on the military, and a kid, where, where was it? Rancho something. Pico Rivera. Um, so, so it was just, it was profanity laced. I mean, the whole thing is just like dropping, uh, 
F-bombs and so many different things. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is crazy, right? So that got a conversation going with, with Isaiah. And he says, oh, Dad, he says, um, the, the teachers don't even tell the kids anymore to stop talking that way, to stop using profanity, because they themselves use it. Like, oh, wow. It's pretty sad that I remember teachers at one point, and they still are. It's not like all the teachers are like this. But teachers should be um, people in our lives as kids that we look up to. They should be an example to us. It's like, you know what? We want to be encouraged by you. We want, to, you, we want you to point us in the right direction. And now we have these cool teachers that, that uh, drop these words, this just profane language, and using it uh, even to uh, curse and, and blaspheme the Lord. Secondly, uh, flippant language, using the name of the Lord in a superficial, disrespectful manner. Um, Jewish tradition, by the way, um, was that they wouldn't even write out the name of the, of the Lord. They wouldn't even write it out because they didn't want to profane it. Profane it. it might be that that piece of paper would burn up and then it was written in vain. It, this, these are the things, these, these rules and these regulations were some of the things that they, these lengths that they went to that really was beyond what was written in Scripture. This isn't what the Lord meant, right? And thirdly, we can live lives that do not reflect what we claim to be. In other words, living lives that are hypocritical. Shaming the Lord by our actions, but only being Christians by word. You you understand what I'm saying? It's like it's not matching up. And, And so we can also do this very thing by the way we live our lives, living contrary to the Lord. George Barnum of Barnum Research said this, quote, the data indicate that very few people, barely one out of 10 adults in the United States, could be considered to have been broken by their understanding of and distaste for their offenses against God. And a huge majority of Christians believe that you can be saved without experiencing such brokenness. Close quote. And so what that tells us is that there's uh, like this, this place of brokenness, a contrite heart before the Lord. Um, it, it doesn't exist that much anymore. Like this, this, uh, this life of repentance before the Lord, understanding that, hey, listen, we need to, we need to consistently exercise 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We should be living lives of repentance, understanding, hey, listen, I don't want to take you, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to um, be flippant about who you are in my life and I don't want my life to reflect something that's contrary to you, Lord. I want to re- reflect you in everything that I say, everything that I do, and everything that I think. So this is a willful breaking of the, of the third commandment. Um, this is not something to take lightly, although many do. Uh, Luke 6.45, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Uh, at some point, our hearts will just spill out. 
And the question is, will the words be to God's glory or to his disgrace? And that all depends on our relationship with him. Number one, God and no other. Number two, make nothing in his likeness. Number three, God's name is not to be taken in vain. Number four, verse 12. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This is the day of rest. What, what day would that be? On our calendar, it's Saturday, right? Saturday, Sabbath day. It was to be enjoyed by all, all free and all slave. Everyone. That was a part of the congregation, congregation you could say, of the Israelites, that, that they were there, whether they were sojourners, whether um, they uh, were, were slaves or those who were uh, servants. They were all to have that day for rest. This is, by the way, definitely a departure of the culture of the day. This was not something that was normal. The Lord was commending this. This is everyone. It's like, oh, my servant? Oh, no. No, no rest for, for them. They are to keep going. And, and God was saying, no. Uh, I created all mankind in my image. They are to rest. They are indeed valuable to me. And so he declared this law to be exercised. In order to regulate this commandment, the Jewish people made up some rules along, you know, uh, throughout the years that ended up placing people in bondage and adhering to man-made laws. I think we've gone through those. You can look those up on your own. It's kind of very elaborate, you know, um, some things that they came up with. In, in Jewish homes um, that are observant to the law, they, they can't turn a light on, no stove. Even flip a switch on, uh, on the Sabbath. They, they can't go a certain distance. They can't make phone calls. And there are many other restrictions that they, they've laid out to adhere uh, to in order to make them feel like they're keeping the fourth commandment. And this is just like how tiring, how much in bondage does, does this feel like? A, a day of rest is, becomes a day of frustration. It's like, well, I, I can't do that. I can't do that. Oh, I just remembered something. And it's like, Oh, I can't do that either. Oh, I just picked that. No, it's, you know, it's, it's a lot of things. You know, it's like, wow, that gets exaggerated, right? Jesus actually turned this type of thinking upside down. Jesus was actually accused of breaking the Sabbath many times, and yet he never sinned. Think about that. So what does that say about how we are to keep or observe the Sabbath? Or is it who we are to observe and keep as our rest and know? Um, you know that Jesus, um, he mentioned every commandment except for one. It was this one. The, keeping the Sabbath. 
And like I said, he was accused of breaking the Sabbath a number of times. What does the word of God say? Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the answer lay, the rest is found in the substance, who is Christ. Galatians chapter 4 verses 9 through 11 says, But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I have labored over you in vain. These were strong words that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Galatians. Listen, don't, don't continue to go there. Even um, the first council of Jerusalem that we find in, in Acts, what was it that, the, that they came up with? It's something very simple that the Gentile believers were to observe. Don't, don't make up all these other laws and these rules that they need to follow. They, they, don't, they don't, don't need to do all that. It's very simple. Now, this all seems pretty clear to me, that we are not under obligation to observe the Sabbath day as New Testament believers, just as the Israelites were required to do in the Old Testament. The rest we know today is knowing that we do not have to work for our salvation, but that our salvation is complete in Jesus Christ. You can jot down Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 10. But at the same time, although we're not under legal obligation to observe the Sabbath, that is not to say that it is not beneficial for us to observe a day of rest. It, it's good for us to observe a day of rest. God has designed us in such a way that we, we need to rest. We need to rest physically. We need to kind of just unwind and, and mentally, right? Or what happens is we begin to show signs of neglect if we don't deliberately and regularly rest. Just, it doesn't have to be the same day. It's just, hey, just take a day every, every now and then. Just, just rest up, right? Um, so number one, um, God and other. Number two, make nothing in his likeness. Number three, God's name is not to be taken in vain. And number four, remember the Sabbath. And we're going to stop there. We're not going to continue on. It's like we only got through four. That was it. But uh, we will continue our study through um, the Ten Commandments uh, next Wednesday, um, as the Lord wills. And, um, and so... Do you guys, do you have any questions in regards to what we've gone over? Yes. Mm. That's a good point. And yes. Yeah, it is because the intent is there. We, we know what the initials mean, right? Um, in case you didn't hear, um, the, the whole uh, point of is, is OMG in today's vernacular, right? Is, is OMG taking the Lord's name in vain? And, and I, I would say yes. I mean, that's, that's my, my opinion because those initials, we know what they mean, right? You understand what I'm saying? So it's being flippant about it. It's an expression, right? It's like, 
Is that what we've really brought that to mean? Is simply an expression of, of awe, of wow, of I'm surprised? Um, you know, so yeah, I, good question, and I, I'm glad you brought that up. There's other words that we can use in substitution of, of the word's terms, you know, like the, the four-letter word that starts with an F. We can um, do in at the end, and then, hey, Ed, that's okay as a Christian. I, I didn't actually say it. We, we got to be careful that that's, that's just that's profanity, right? And we know, we know what, we went, what we meant. What's that? Um. Yeah, you know that's. Uh, I mean, we're not. I. Yeah, I know. Yeah, no. Yeah, goodness and gosh, I think it's different from OMG because OMG is actually, you know, saying "Oh my God," right? But we're not saying "Oh my God," you know. We're not. We're not um, glorifying him. It's not directed to God. It's more, like I said, just used as just kind of this, this expression. And it's, uh, and it's flippant. So it's not like, if, you, if I heard them say, when you say gosh, it's a substitute for God. Or, uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I if I agree with that, yeah. Because yeah, I mean, I I know that I've um, coming from a colorful background, <laughs> past, you know. Uh, I've I've had to to make um, you know my own conscientious changes to to how I speak over, over the years, of course, you know. But um, you know, and being mindful of that, it's like ah, oh, that was way too close, and so. Can I, can we not just take a look at the at the synonyms, you know, and and come up with something and just add to our, our our vocabulary? Like that is absolutely amazing, you know. You really surprised me. That was a shock, right? Instead of saying some of these other things, in fact, in fact, you'll be a little bit clearer and more articulate in your expression um, to whatever it is that's happening. So it might be good just for us to to steer away from anything that could come close to taking the name of the Lord in vain. It'd be, it'd be a good thing for us to do. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the, the picture of Jesus, well, it's funny, like, who, who knows how, what Jesus looks like, right? One thing, nobody, it's an artistic rendition of, of who he is. Um, you know, as far as, uh, I mean, we don't have any pictures of, of Jesus in our home, but uh, that doesn't say that we can't have, like, for instance, you know, there's certain paintings I know um, of uh, certain scenes within the Bible, you know, it's like, oh, well, that, that reminds us of that, you know, and, and not that we're worshiping the Apostle Paul or John or Daniel, you know, in the lion's den or anything like that. So th- those types of things, I, I would say no. It, it's when we're using them as an aid to worship. You know, like um, 
Eastern Orthodox. I've mentioned this before. Eastern Orthodox, their, their whole thing is icons. Um, and why? Because we're image bearers. And that's where they get that from. Because we're God's image bearers, uh, the image or the icon is okay. And that represents the different saints. And yet the only thing is that they've taken it way too far. It's like to have, if we were to have portraits of the Apostle Paul and, and John and, oh, that's Stephen, you know, and Philip, that'd be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, if they, they could take pictures and like just text them to us, right? That would be awesome. And we would know what they looked like. There, of course, there'd be nothing wrong with that, right? It's when we come into a room and we have to kiss this picture and we have to kiss that picture and, and we're like, we're paying homage to them. Like that, that's where we need to be careful, you know? And, and like I said, you know, icons um, are for the Eastern Orthodox and you have um, sculptures and, um, and saints, physical ones um, for the Roman Catholic Church. And so um, we know that they're, they believe that you could ask them for prayer. In fact, I'll bring something next week, okay? Because next week, I'll give you a history of the church and where it is and at what time in the history of the church to where, like Gregory, they were laying out exactly some of these things, penance, um, in how it is that the saints could actually, if you pray and you ask them to help you out, you, you will have a shorter time in purgatory. Um, your, your need for penance will be much shorter. And it's like, they're, they're dead saints. Where did you come up with this? Um, where, where can you show me that in the Bible? It's just, it's not there. So I can, I can show you in, in church history, and I'll bring it next week. I have that. Any other questions? No other questions? We're going to start doing that too. So afterwards, I want, to, I want to just put it out there. And maybe I missed something. Maybe I missed something that's important for us. You know, like in this kind of a, an atmosphere, we can do it. Like on Sunday morning, we can't do it. It, it wouldn't be appropriate, but uh, Yes. Yeah. 
And, and that's, that's what I was saying. That's the difference. You know, it's, it's not like Faye is, is worshiping those pictures. You know, it's like that's not what we're doing. Um, like I said, you can go into different places and, and you, can, you can see paintings like Daniel in, in the lion's den. Uh, it, it brings you to that place, you know, to where it's like, wow, you know, I, I, I remember that story. You know, I, I need to look that up again, you know, and you start reading through Daniel and, and you read through it. Um, Nehemiah, you can, you know, be reminded in a, in a, in a painting of Nehemiah and just his, uh, his faith and his, his heart of compassion and willingness to um, subject himself possibly to death, you know, before the king as the king's cupbearer you know, as his countenance changed and, you know, different things. So, you know, The Last Supper, I know, is a, is a very uh, uh, famous painting and one that um, I, I know is hung in, in many homes. So those types of things, I'm, I'm not, by any stretch of the imagination, I'm not saying that that is the same as idol worship. It, it's not, right? It's when we hold those as that itself is sacred, you know, um, it has meaning, but it's not, it's not the object. And we know that. We're reminded and we're like, oh, our Lord is so good. It's so good. So, all right. Well, we'll close in prayer and, uh, and we will be about uh, the night. All right, Father, we, we thank you, Lord, for, again, the time that you've given to us to come together. And, and Lord, like I said at the beginning, to sit at your feet to receive from you your word. And, and I pray, Lord, that um, you would continue to remind us that we would meditate on the law of the Lord, that we would worship you and you alone, that we would put no, no other uh, God before you. We would not uh, bow down to anything or anyone else, um, but allow you to be in the place that you should be in our lives. Um, preeminent preeminent in everything. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do. Thank you that we have found rest by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And I ask, Lord, that we would go in peace, that we would not be anxious about anything. Lord, that we would simply trust in you and know that we stand on solid ground when we do trust in you, when we have faith in you, not in our ways, but in your ways, in your word, and not in our experience, but in, in just your truth. And so, Father, we thank you, Lord, for that. We know that you will never fail us, for you are faithful. We praise you, Lord. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.